When I think of service, the first place that I think of is Chick-fil-A, right? This is a picture of Dan Cathy. He's the CEO of Chick-fil-A. I don't know about you, but I have never had a negative customer service experience with Chick-fil-A. And you might be, have a different experience, but I don't. I've had people holding doors for me almost every time I go in. It's nice. I've had people walk in the rain carrying an umbrella for me. I've never been to another fast food restaurant that even cared, right? You always get the my pleasure anytime you say thank you. It's strange, but okay, thank you. Always checking on drinks in a fast food restaurant. Never once have I been to a Chick-fil-A and just not thoroughly enjoyed the experience. And it's because service is built into their culture. Dan Cathy is the CEO of Chick-fil-A, and any time he introduces himself to somebody he hasn't met, he walks up to them, he shakes their hand, and he says, Hi, I'm Dan, I work in customer service. That motto has made its way through everything that they do. I do want to apologize just to begin, because I know most of you are thinking, man, I really want some Chick-fil-A this afternoon. (laughs) Again, apologies. And if they get a boom in business tomorrow, you're welcome. So there you go. We all have those people in our lives that when we look at them, we think, wow, that person is a great servant. A servant, in my mind, is typically the kind of person that does the things that I don't want to do. Right? Servant does the things that I don't want to do. And we have some of those servants in this church that I want to just take a few moments to acknowledge. Like Rick, who I was telling you about. Me and Micah show up on Sunday mornings. First person we interact with is Rick Machinsky. And Rick has been working every week to make sure that we have communion ready for when we all get together. And you've seen how tiny those cups are. You can imagine how long it takes to fill those. But faithfully, Rick does that every week. This week, we had a guy named Ron Beck. Uh, Some of you may know Ron. He showed up on Tuesday to fix this door that I've seen lots of you walk into, and it's so stuck to the bottom of, to the ground, whatever uh, the concrete or, I don't know, tile, whatever's in there, it gets so stuck that you walk into it and it doesn't budge. So it looks like you're walking into a wall sometimes. It's kind of amusing if I'm standing there. But he came in, and now the door swings. Right. I didn't want that job. I kind of enjoyed watching people walk into the door. (laughs) But we're a better church because Ron came and served us. Lane Match and Phil Thompson have been working on our budget for the year. I can't think of a more tedious task. I hate numbers. I, I really hate numbers. But these guys have been working on the budget, and they get to decide where our money goes and how we best serve God through our finances. Thankless task. Abigail May and Malia Davidson have been spending the last several Wednesday nights making sure that our kids' program is moving forward. Logan's trying to take some time off so that she can have a baby, which is wonderful. We're, we're all for it. Uh, but in doing so, these two girls have stepped in and made sure that this church can serve our kids in this very specific way. Jimmy Bliss shows up every Sunday morning with coffee and donuts, And I I know, I know, some of you are wanting to give him a big round of applause right now. He's down in the Spanish service, so we'll just have to tell him that that happened. Our church thrives because we have servants, right? 
Our church thrives because we have these people who step in and do the things that you don't want to do or I don't want to do, but somebody needs to do. And so they do that. They do this because they believe that this is what Jesus was all about. We see Jesus serving people in Scripture over and over again. But i got to tell you, my definition of service still stands when I look at Jesus. Because how many of you are going to volunteer to wash feet? And I don't mean that in a metaphor. I mean, seriously, these nasty feet. The disciples would wander up and down the road, these dirt roads with no socks, sweaty feet, covered in dirt, and Jesus gets down and washes their feet. That is gross. It is. What about feeding 5,000 people? Have you ever seen the show Dinner Impossible or Restaurant Impossible? There's this guy named Robert Irvine. He's huge. He's this, he could be like a professional wrestler or something, but he's not. He could be, but he's not. He's a chef. And he goes into these places, and he is given a task. He's told, we need to serve 600 people dinner in six hours, and this is the ingredient list, and that's fine. Robert Irvine could not be given a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish and said, feed 5,000 people. He couldn't do it. Jesus is given that task, and it's a task none of us want either. What about some of the healings that Jesus did with the dead? Seriously, dealing with dead bodies. That's tough. What about lepers, people that you would be afraid to touch, afraid to get too close to? Demon-possessed people. Can you seriously imagine what it would be like to be right in front of someone who has a demon that is possessing them? Like the girl that kept throwing herself in the fire. It would be awful. But Jesus, over and over again, served people. The service toward the least of these in the life of Jesus was impressive. Say all that to set up this story. In Mark chapter 10, that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Mark chapter 10, James and John had just asked Jesus. They said, Jesus, you've been talking about this kingdom that you've come to establish. You're going to make this kingdom. And and listen, we know that you're going to need a right-hand man and a left-hand man. You're going to need the next in line. And we volunteer to be those guys. Right? James and John, we volunteer to be those guys. Jesus says... That's not up to me. And they don't like it. So pretend for a moment you're one of these other ten apostles, right? You're one of these other ten, and you've seen this, these brothers, James and John, make this power play. And so these ten apostles get mad. So Jesus calls them together for what my mom always called a powwow. It's her come-to-Jesus moment, which, ironically, Jesus is calling, so... There you go. I thought that was funny too. So there you go. (laughs) Mark chapter 10, verse 42. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. 
when Jesus clearly told the apostles why he had come, he told them directly, I have come to serve. Jesus came to be a servant. And I think we look at the way that Jesus served these people, and I think we are impressed. And there's nothing wrong with being impressed with Jesus. He is a great example of a servant. We think back on how Jesus would be with the people that he would consider the least of these, that we would consider the least of these, how he would spend his time and his energy and his focus on some of these. How he would see the children who the, the apostles were pushing away saying, listen, this is Jesus. He's super important. He doesn't need the kids. And Jesus would say, no, let them come to me. We think of how he came to seek and save the lost. The people that everybody else had given up on, Jesus came for them. And we look at those things and we say, man, Jesus is impressive. And maybe we even want to be motivated to be like Jesus. The purpose of this series, however, is not to be impressed with Jesus. The purpose of this series is to figure out how can we be in awe, in wonder of Jesus. Last week, Patrick gave this analogy of a cave that I thought was was great. And it's been resonating in my mind all week. He talked about how, how you see this guy, and I know that's an uncomfortable picture, but you see this guy in this very narrow space, and you can't see what's on the other side. You just kind of get into that narrow space. But once you get through that, you come into this great big opening, and you see that there's a lot more to the picture than what you initially thought. And that's how we are with Jesus. Sometimes we have this very clear idea in our minds of what Jesus is, of what Jesus stands for, of what Jesus does, only to turn the corner and find out that we have actually limited Jesus with that. That Jesus is much bigger, much grander, and we become in awe. As I reflected over the last few weeks on Jesus as a servant, it became clear to me that one of the reasons that I don't find myself in awe of him is because I have made the story of Jesus smaller than it actually is. The story of Jesus actually takes place within this much larger story. It's a story of God and of Israel and of this Messiah this servant that they're longing for. If we are going to be in awe of Jesus as a servant, it is my conviction this morning that we need to put Jesus back into the larger story of God and of Israel. For the Gospel writers, and I actually think for Jesus himself, one of the primary ways that they understood Jesus was in light of this this 15-chapter passage in the book of Isaiah called the Servant Songs. It's Isaiah 40 through 55. So Jesus is that servant. Okay? Keep that in your mind. I want to paint a picture real quick, and then we'll get back there. When I watch movies or TV, I've always gravitated toward the characters that remind me of myself. Right? If you watch a movie or TV, sometimes you see those characters that are like looking in a mirror. For me, this happened first in pre-K. 
Right, so when I was Micah's age, when I was four years old, I had a group of four friends, and we would get together, and we would play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right? I mean, this was, this was what our lives kind of revolved around. We were in this little Christian school, but at the end of the day, we were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So every time we'd get out on the playground, there would be the guy that was the leader of the group, and if he was the leader, he got to be... Leonardo, good. You guys know your Ninja Turtles. I'm, makes me happy. We had the funny guy, Michelangelo. He got to be Michelangelo. Nobody wants to be Raphael. Nobody. David wants to be Raphael. Raphael's the kind of character that sometimes needs a therapist because it's just angry all the time. I was the guy that got to be the smart guy, and I loved it. I got to be Donatello. I know some of you are mocking me for that, and I get it. I get it. I got to be Donatello. And so from the age of four or five, my favorite color has always been purple. And don't worry, I'm not a Vikings fan. It's it's nothing like that. But it has been. Because of Ninja Turtles, this thing had a lot of impact on me. And I gravitated toward that character and still do, which is a little bit ridiculous. Third or fourth grade, we get out on the playground. Bigger group of kids, bigger group of people. I never got to choose my character. For some reason, we would play Saved by the Bell as if that was a game. I was always assigned Screech as if that was something somebody would choose. But that happened. By the time I got to college, I started watching, you know, movies for people. Uh, Started reading books. And, And there's this one character, and I hope this isn't too controversial for us, but there was this one character named Robert Langdon who's been in the Angels and Demons, who's been in the Da Vinci Code. And if you're, if you're getting your theology from those places, I understand that's very dangerous. But I saw this character, Robert Langdon, who would dig deep into texts and loved it. That made sense to me. He was a historian. He was a symbologist. So he would have these things that he would just try to uncover the truth behind. And he always wanted the full picture. I loved that character. Made a ton of sense to me. Recently, within the last few years, I I saw the movie, and and this feels like I'm bragging. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm like this character. But I saw the movie Luther, which is about Martin Luther. Joseph Fiennes plays this character, and he has this quote that's up here on the screen. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. And there are those times in my life where I've felt so convicted by the truthfulness of something that I have felt the exact same way. And so these characters, while not perfect images of me, I see myself in them. I believe that Jesus saw himself as the personification, the one who brought this servant to life from Isaiah 40 through 55. In the same way that I see myself there, Jesus saw himself as this servant. There are four servant songs, okay? There are these four servant songs, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, Isaiah 49, 1 through 6, Isaiah 54 through 11, and then Isaiah 52 and 53. We're not going to read all of those. That would be 
tedious a little bit, but I do want to just summarize what we see in these pictures. God's spirit was upon this servant. He was to bring justice by being faithful. He was to restore Israel. He was to bring salvation to the nations. He was to be a teacher. He was not to be rebellious. And he was struck, insulted, and suffered. When you picture Jesus, do those things line up with what we know? I think absolutely they do. This is what Jesus would become. But it's once we get to this fourth song that we realize just how much Jesus lived into this. Isaiah 53, verse 3, we see this. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. By the time we get to verse 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. <laughs> verse 11 says, The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We have these characters that sometimes we live into, these ideas that kind of become our way of being. How would you like to live into that scripture? He was bruised for our transgressions. He was pierced for our sins. How would you like to live up to that image? And yet, when Philip comes across the Ethiopian eunuch, In Acts chapter 8. This is the passage of scripture that this eunuch is reading. And Philip, starting with this very passage, explains to him, proclaims to him the good news of Jesus. In Philippians 2, we read this passage, this beautiful hymn, this, this song about how we should have the same mind of Jesus who took the form of a servant, of the servant, and became obedient to death on a cross. Jesus took this suffering upon himself. I think we read these things and we piece these ideas together and we do come to the conclusion that Jesus is this servant. Jesus becomes this person. And that's, that's good, but, but really, so what? It's a good story, but but why does it matter to us? And I think it matters for two reasons, okay? And the first one is simply this. God is faithful to his promises. And I don't think we always understand how important this really is. Back in Genesis 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. And this was the covenant with which God would bless Abraham. He would give him all these offspring, and his offspring would become these mighty nations. He would be blessed tremendously, but we forget this last part. He would be a blessing to the world. His offspring would be a blessing to the world, and they would be the light of the world. They would draw people to God, and Israel never 
and I mean never, lived up to that calling. Israel was never faithful to this covenant. And Isaiah gets to this place where they're in exile, and Isaiah says, there will be a servant who is. The nation will never be faithful, but there will be a servant who is faithful. And it is Jesus Christ who becomes faithful, who is faithful, who becomes this servant, the representative of Israel. Romans 3, 3 and 4 tell us that God is faithful when everyone else is not. Let everyone else be faithless to do, just to prove God's faithfulness. How faithful is God to this covenant that he takes the place of Israel to uphold it? God is faithful. But this leads to the biggest question for me. Why would God do this? And I think it shows what's at the heart of God. God did this out of love. Christ became this servant out of love. I know that's not this groundbreaking statement, but this was the biggest aha moment I've had in years. That God did not send Jesus because He hated us. God did not send Jesus because we had so messed up. God sent Jesus because He loves us. Jesus became this servant because He loves us. John 3.16, one of the most well-known passages we have is, For God so loved the world that He sent Jesus. Galatians 2.20, Paul's saying, he's saying, I no longer live, it's Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. Romans 5.8 says that God proves His love in this. While we were still sinners, before we figured things out, Christ died for us. Christ became this servant because God loves us. And if we are not in awe of that, if we are not in awe of the love of God that comes out in this servant, I don't think we get it. You're not good enough for the love of God. I'm not good enough for the love of God. And that's when God loves us. Service is an act of love. For Christ to become this servant is an act of love. And so church, I've just got two questions for you this morning. Two questions for you to consider in light of this. The first one is simply this. Do you serve? If you haven't found a place to serve, you should come talk to me. Uh, But if you don't want to do that, you should find a place to serve. You need to be serving. All of us need to be serving. Christ served, we should serve. But the second one is this, and this is equally important. Do you serve out of love? When we serve people, it's not because we're better than them. It's not because they need our help. We serve because we love. We love God. We love others. That's the way it works. Church, we need to become a church. We need to grow in this identity of our church as a church that serves out of love. And that's all I got for you this morning. Do you serve? Do you serve out of love? I pray that we'll do that this week. Hand it over to Dave.